so the the prevalence of Phil the rat throughout, like there's 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 the, the rats just don't live that long. Um, even even when they're not being experimented on. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Good to have you back. Good to be back. Today we have another exciting conversation about about scripts in general, about uh, the nature of this particular funky script that we are reading yeah. and talking about today, about regional theater scenes that, that exist in their own sort of world and the ways in which they expand outside of that. All of that is, is a weird part of this conversation today that we are having about a script that I suspect many of you have never heard of. It's true, yeah. Although some of you could have, if if we got any West Coast fans, they that we you might have heard of this play. It, it had a had a pretty uh, uh, big life when it came out back in 2014. Um, it's fun too. We we often have the sort of presence to to realize, at least in the course of our season, if you look back one episode, we talked about Uncle Vanya last week, and now we're going to just a just completely different direction, <laughs> pretty much a completely <laughs> different direction. Um, and and talking about uh the behavior of Broadus today, which I'm excited to jump into. Yeah, so The Behavior of Broadus is a script that was uh, suggested to us by a patron. We try to keep an ear to the kinds of scripts our patrons are interested in hearing us talk about on this show. And we also, as we began sort of considering this script as what we were going to be covering, it came to us that this script is... It's a it's a it's a local script. It's a, it's a regional script developed by a writing and performing team in California, and it had a lot of success, a lot of great press in Los Angeles. And so it was interesting to us to talk about it, a script from kind of a different world. Out of a it was created by a team. It was uh, it has had sort of regional success, um, but it's not a script that has sort of swept the national landscape yet. And so. And looking at theater of all different levels, I love that you brought our conversation on Uncle Vanya from last week, which really is the shuttle to the polar opposite. Yeah, yeah, it's super fun. Super fun to kind of go from, you know, like, you know, this this monolithic, uh, uh, you know, a Russian author to to uh, this collective that wrote this play. I, I didn't say it at the beginning because I wanted to get all the names in front of me. But this play is by the Burglars of Ham, which is a, a kind of collective of writers and artists and directors. Um, and also musicians, um, and and that collective, at least on on the uh, version of the script that we have, is Carolyn Almos, Matt Almos, John Beauregard, and Albert Dayen. Um, uh, so that was the, uh, what the who the book was by. There's also original songs in this, which were written by Matt Almos, Brendan Milburn, and the Burglars of Ham. Again, are credited for the songs in the in the script. And the uh, cast album that was developed by this these folks in California is available on YouTube at this point in time uh, by them. It's not even like a bootleg copy. Like you can see the official <laughs> cast album up there. Just go into YouTube and search the behavior of Broadus, and you will see that cast album. Listen through. I think both Jackson and I would say if you if you read the script, which you can, it is it's published by Theater Communications Group. Um, purchase your copy online on Amazon and wherever you get your scripts if you want to give this script a read if it sounds interesting. But the maybe I, I don't know if I'd call it a warning or just a a, a friendly suggestion on yeah. the front end that you probably want to listen to the music. The tone of this musical, our experience at least on the page, was a little it was it was a little hard to tell on the page exactly the tone that we were getting into but once that music starts rolling it sort of becomes all becomes clear what yes. what you are walking into <laughs> yeah yeah it's very tongue-in-cheek very uh uh, like I don't know, it evoked uh, a lot of different musicals for me. Some some of the like kind of almost like Wicked esque 
uh, 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 compositions come into it. Um, you you also named a couple other ones like like uh, you said like well, Urinetown. Well, so or... I, there are some. There's a lot of musicals that I think are interesting comps for this. I think like Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson is an interesting comp for this musical. It's also a sort of a historical irreverent retelling. Um, but the two musicals that come to mind for me that this musical is most like, and I hope if we have folks listening from the Burglars of Ham, I hope that they agree with this and that I'm not offending them because uh, I don't I think both of these musicals are great uh, is um, Book of Mormon and Urinetown, um, which are both uh, s- sort of satire musicals, both in form and content. Um, I think Book of Mormon might be the closest to this in in sort of the sheer audacity sometimes of what goes on in in the musical in the way in which the music is a sort of comedic up tempo while talking about uh, uh, painful, uh, controversial, odd things at times. Just the general tone, the general sort of silly tone, which I think is is clearly one of the things in which they set out to do for this musical, uh, The Behaviors of Brada. So those are just some to give you some semblance of an idea for those folks out there who, who don't know anything about this show yet and, and maybe will in the future. Yeah, yeah, excited, excited to kind of jump into it. Definitely, when you when you get a chance to see it, obviously you'll hear the music. But if you're going to be reading, like we uh, often advocate for on this podcast, reading plays—it's a great way to access plays. Definitely take advantage of the music; it sets the tone for sure. Yeah, boy, it really does. <laughs> Before we get any farther into this conversation, we should do two things. Uh, first thing we should do is to say that next week begins our themed month here on yeah. No Script, something we do every season. And for this season, season nine, it'll be the month of November 2022 is our themed month. This year we are, this season, we're two seasons a year now, this season yeah. our themed month is New Chats, Old Scripts. New Chats, Old Scripts. If you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, we've been stumbling over that name, but we're sticking with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're sort we're, of like the characters in this musical, right? We like have this idea, <laughs> and boy, we're not giving it up. <laughs> we're not giving it up for decades. No, uh, so the idea, the idea about the this theme month, we're excited to jump into it. We've often done theme months around like an individual playwright or uh, uh, plays that all have to do with magic or uh, spending time with particular genres of plays or something like that. Um, this, this time around, we're doing, as we said, new chat, old script, and we're kind of going back to uh, a couple of the plays that we've done in the past before and kind of approaching them with a new perspective. And that new perspective is kind uh, Kind of, uh, the, we'll, we'll take that new perspective in a variety of different ways. Maybe one of us has been in it or been a part of a production of it. Perhaps there's been new scenes uh, kind of uh, published for those different plays. And we'll kind of enter the conversation kind of almost like a, a, a revisit. We'll kind of uh, enter in. We won't do our typical context and synopsis for it. We've already done that in previous ones. And we'll just kind of jump right into the meat of the conversation with the new perspective that we have on the, the script. Yeah, these, these are going to be short chats too, just sort of updates, interesting new features. They may be varied lengths, but it's it's part of our feeling too that like the, the format of this podcast is such that like we read a script and, and there it goes, it's gone now. But that's kind of, it's different than really how theater works. I mean, the vast majority of theater's play scripts are produced more than once, or at least the published and, and more well-known ones, right? And so we feel like, well, if you see more than one production, you're going to have more than one conversation. If you read it later in life, you're going to want to talk about it again with a new angle. So this month is sort of, if it is, it's an outpouring of that, of the feeling that, well, we had a conversation about these scripts, but it's not like we're only ever going to have one conversation. So let's come back to them. There's We picked four scripts that are going to have something new about them, as Jackson said. And so we're, we're, we're I think we're just going to release those script titles one week at a time as we come into theme month. That's a little bit different than we've done in seasons past, but you'll see coming up for this week what script we'll be talking about starting next week for theme month, and we will we'll discuss when we get to those episodes what is sort of the updated perspective, the new thing, whatever it is that inspired us to pick that script for theme month. 
And if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that we have another kind of hallmark of our season with the special guest episode. Um, uh, that is uh, typ typically throughout the season, we bring in another person. So we have another perspective who joins one or the other of Jacob and I um, to kind of chat over a script. And uh, this month is going to be inside of the themed month. So you're getting both of the kind of pinnacles of our, of our sort of season traditions um, within the next month. So mark your calendars, mark your podcast apps. You can't do that. But uh, just get ready for the theme month coming up really soon. <laughs> it's next week. We'll see you then, everybody. New chats, old scripts uh, starts next week. Before we get back to our script conversation, we will ask everybody one more time to think about heading over to patreon.com slash no script podcast over there. You can become a supporter of the show. There's all different kinds of tiers. The lowest tier is $1 a month, $12 over the course of a year. Every single one of those tiers helps the running of the podcast immensely. Jackson and I like to do it. It's a good part of our life, but it's not a free part and we're not rich. And thus the monetary <laughs> support from Patreon is what is able to keep us doing the show in the way that we have been doing it. So huge gratitude to the folks over there, including a new patron at our playwright tier level. And one of those benefits of the playwright tier level is that we give you a vocal shout out. Thank you on the podcast. Jonathan edge is a new patron at that level to the show. Jonathan, yeah. thank you so much for supporting no script for making what we do happen. Seriously, you and the, and our other patrons over there, it couldn't happen without you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for jumping on board and thanks to all of our patrons who have gone over there. Thanks for your interactions on posts. Thanks for your support of the podcast. If you're a longtime listener or have just jumped on today and are liking what you hear so far, patreon.com slash podcast is a great way to kind of join in the NoScript community and really help out the show. So thank you all so much and we will see you over there. And now back to the script. All right, back to the script. So we're going to jump into the conversation here about the play of the day, the behavior of Broadus. Um, uh, we're going to, I'm just going to give you just a brief, um, a brief introduction to the, the character of John Broadus Watson. Very brief, because most of our introduction to him will be in the synopsis of the play. The play does a fine job of kind of introducing the uh, John Watson that we will be in engaging with for the play. But John B. Watson was a real person, a, a real um, uh, 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 scientist, psychologist, um, and uh, kind of uh, lived from 1878 to 1958. Um, he had a number of different roles. His, his science was the field of behavior. Behaviorism, um, and the kind of psychology of discipline and consequences and how that affects um, your engagement with emotions and, and actions. And he thought he could control quite a bit of that uh, sort of uh, problematic, what he viewed as problematic behavior in people by introducing these sort of uh, uh, stimulus into the into the area. This is a guy who's around the same time as Freud, around the same time as Pavlov. Like all of this is kind of going on in the scientific water. Um, and so he he runs a number of different ex experiments, most prominently the little, or perhaps uh, nefariously, um, uh, the little Albert experiment, which we'll talk about in the course of the play, but uh, he uses quite young children. Feature very prominently in the musical. Yeah, yeah, quite quite young children are used in in the kind of implementing of these sort of uh, consequences for different behaviors and trying to manipulate fears and loves of of the children. Lots of lots has been written about that. We're not going to focus too much on that besides what the actual play itself focuses on. So if you've been tracking with us so far, just what you might know now about the musical is that it is in fact a Book of Mormon style satire <laughs> musical about a psychologist who experimented on babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the material. And and it is, it, it, the musical comes out of that notion and it, it boy, it takes that as far as it can go. It's, right. It is, sure it's exciting in its sheer audacity. I got to tell yeah. you. It's one of those, it's one of those things that's just unlike anything else. Yeah. 
<laughs> anything else. It's 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 fun. I'm excited to kind of get into the play itself. The last thing to say about the real person, John B. Watson, is that he kind of transitioned after he was uh, kind of he left his position as a scientist, uh, as a prominent member of John Hopkins, um, uh, as a result of an affair that he had, um, not as a result of his his experiment. We'll get into that later, probably. Um, uh, but uh, the but then kind of transitioned into the ad world and is 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 pretty directly responsible for the kind of shift in advertising from uh, it being kind of a here's your product, here's what it does, you should buy it based on how good this product is to kind of the, the more manipulative advertising approach of something like Mad Men, for instance, where the ad focuses on evoking either a, a, a big emotion like joy or fear or something like that. Um, so his work in, in advertising kind of moved the focus to what does someone fear? How does your problem resolve that fear for you? Um, so so uh, uh, an interesting, certainly an interesting figure. Um, he had a very real, uh, and a very real figure. A lot of, a lot of the, the kind of uh, pillars of what the play is going to talk about are, are based in a real uh, person. Now, let's get into the play itself. This play's uh, kind of zone of focus is from 2014 to 2016. The play, as we uh, mentioned at the top, is uh, written by the Burglars of Ham, which is an artist collective. Um, they, Great uh, name. A-plus yeah. name for an artist performing <laughs> collective. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, and they have uh, lots of kind of uh, uh, acclaim over on, on the West Coast theater scene. Um, I, I'm not in the West Coast theater scene, so so this is just me kind of, uh, of grabbing what I can from the internet about them. But they've been compared to like Monty Python and, and uh, kind of the, the sort of visceral nature of their plays. And they're coming up with new stuff all the time. They're often writing in concert with each other. So really cool group. Of uh, of theater folks out there, put this play together. They put it together in um, partnership with the uh, Sacred Fools and the Center Theater Group. Now, this play, I believe, uh, had its first uh, kind of staged reading in 2014, and that was at the Kirk Douglas Theater, and then it had its world premiere with the Sacred Fools Theater, and uh, that's at the Capitol Stage in Sacramento. Um, that production uh, uh, ran, um, and then the I believe there was a follow. If I if I pieced together the information correctly, there was a follow up performance in L.A. with uh, the Sacred Fools Theater again and the Senator Theater Group, all in all in kind of concert and partnership with each other. The play uh, got a. a, a nominated for nine ovation awards and won two of those award awards, a book of a world premiere musical and lyrics slash composition of a world premiere musical. It was also uh, uh, nominated for uh, seven stage raw Los Angeles theater awards. So this play was well lauded at its time. A lot, if you, you can go on the, the play site and you see a, a number of uh, just kind of glowing reviews of the play and also the seasons that it was a part of the sort of work that it evokes and the sort of conversations it can uh, uh, kind of lead people into as a result of both the season that it was a part of, but just the play on its own. Um, lots of people kind of lauding it for uh, its transcendency and its and its ability to kind of like uh, grab people by, by the lapels and like yank them into this story. So um, I'm excited to kind of jump into the conversation around it. Interesting sort of story about the burglars of ham that I ran around while I was just looking up stuff about them. Um, this is a quote from a review from KCRW's The Best of 2014, um, which I assume is a California local something or other. Uh, and the writer, who is Anthony B Burns, B-Y-R-N-E-S, Burns, uh, writes this. Now, if you don't know The Burglars of Ham, they're a four-person writing performing collective that surface every few years with a satirical gem. One of their early pieces from more than a decade ago and I'm going to struggle to pronounce this, Reza Fantastikit Mystique purported to be a lost masterwork of a Strindberg contemporary. As the audience enters, they were given headphones with the director's voice telling them what it all meant. So yeah. these, it seems to me that the story is that they advertised performing a lost Strindberg masterpiece only to have people show up and tell them that it was not, in fact, a lost Strindberg. I mean, this is the, this is the collective that, that creates this piece. And I, I wanted to tell that little story, that little anecdote about them on the front end before I described the plot of this musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal. That's just awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um. So Jackson told you, this is a musical 
This is like a a bio musical. Let's start there before we layer anything else on top of it. Yeah, it yeah. is a, it is a bio musical in the vein of something like a, a Hamilton or a Bloody Buddy Andrew Jackson or a blah blah right. Um, and it's about John B. Watson, the psychologist. We're in the late 19th century, first half of the 20th century. Jackson did a pretty good job summarizing behaviorism and his work. Um, and so the, the musical follows John B. Watson from literally from birth to death. The first line of the musical, and this should tell you a lot of what you need to know about the tone of this musical is, when you are born, you're alive. Yep. That's the first line of the musical. <laughs> From birth to death, it follows John B. Watson. I'm not going to be able to catch it all. It's uh, There's a lot that goes on because of the sort of nature of it. But here's a general s- summary. Um, the other thing you need to know about how it's told is that there is a chorus uh, that that is just sort of a general onstage chorus. They end up playing many different roles throughout the script, including talking animals, talking babies, um, all different kinds of sort of wonky things like that. So in the musicals telling of John B. Watson's life, Broadus, from which the title comes from, which is they will tell you in the musical and in all of the marketing around the musical, only somewhat true. <laughs> it's, it's really only kind of true, they're telling you. Yeah. And in fact, they'll say it's it's a little surprising how much of it is true, actually, but not all of it for sure, because, of course, of the talking rats. That's a dead giveaway. <laughs> talking rats. Talking rats and talking babies. <laughs> uh, John B. Watson is born in sort of a country family. His mother is a single mother. His father is a drunk and a deadbeat. His mother raises him with a fear of the dark because in the dark is sin and evil and she wants him to be good she gives him a bible she thinks he's going to grow up to be a preacher um and this is sort of his early as a young child steeping in the reward punishment sort of psychology that's going to come to define his career he decides to become a preacher after a rousing song in which he converts the barnyard animals uh to christianity and he takes his pet chicken with him to chicago this is all true i'm not making this up (laughs) He, he he takes his pet chicken with him to Chicago, which he discovers is full of crime and villainy. Um, and the crime and villainy of the world sort of get to him. And in a scene in which he nearly commits suicide, he is instead invited to come and visit the University of Chicago, where he learns about science. Um, he meets a professor who shows him, basically cuts open a rat's brain and shows him how he can cause the rat to do things by uh, stimulating different parts of the rat's brain. This inspires him to become a scientist and sort of creates in his mind the idea that humans are machines. And just like other machines, they can be manipulated with the right set of stimuli to to do what he to do anything really. Uh, but from the very beginning here, Watson sets up his motivations as being. It's it's tough to say good, but let's say it. Just, it's, he sets up that his motivations are good in wanting to get rid of people's fears and to sort of uh, let them behave well, to be better for society. And given if you know anything about that early 20th century psychology, you can already see some potential problems that are coming right, just right. from that, right? Um, so he sets up a lab uh, at John Hopkins University. We jump ahead many years, of course. He's running a lab at John Hopkins University. University and teaching. Um, and in his lab, he's working with Phil the Rat, who will become a prominent feature. This is a lab rat character that will stay throughout the show, Phil the Rat, um, who, of course, sings and talks to him and all of this stuff. And the experiment is through shocks and through rewarding food. This is a real experiment that Watson did, is my understanding. Of course, the rat didn't talk in real life. Uh, through <laughs> through the <laughs> through <laughs> shocks and through uh, food, can he teach a rat to navigate a maze? At this time, he meets a young student named Mary, who he ends up marrying, um, and he 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 also is getting sort of mocked by other psychologists who are doing different sorts of things, including like dream interpretation, like the Freud stuff. Um, and and so he eventually ends up having an affair with uh, a new assistant who will be sort of prominent throughout the rest of the show. Um, and this is Rosalie. 
Um, and Rosalie is the woman he has an affair with, and then he eventually leaves his wife and ends up marrying. Around this time, however, he figures out that he has successfully done the rat experiment, and so he can now move on to human subjects. And what he really wants is a baby. So he gets a baby, little Albert, and conducts a series of experiments on little Albert to see if he can first cause little Albert to be afraid of something he's not already afraid of, and then the idea is to then teach little Albert not to be afraid of that thing, to sort of prove both sides of the equation, that you can control someone's fear by way of causing it and by way of eliminating it, obviously the more helpful thing. Um, so R Rosalie and he are having an affair while he's doing these experiments on little Albert. He is eventually hauled before the board of trustees in sort of one of those big, like in my head, it's like one of those big chambers with right, like big tall, tall seats and yeah, 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 yeah. So he's called into the board of trustees who say, you're doing experiments on a baby and you're having an affair. Right. <laughs> you, you have to, first they say you have to not have the affair to teach a John Hopkins. And he says, I guess I can do that. And then they say, you have to stop with the behaviorism and you have to convert to do psychology the Freudian way. And that is the thing for him. He is not going to give that up. So he leaves John Hopkins University um, and he becomes an ad man, like Jackson said. There's a rousing song, probably the most uh, upbeat, uh, joyous song in the whole show, Ad Man, where his methods of behaviorism are applied to advertising. He's very successful in doing this um, and, and rises in the ranks fast and sells all kinds of products all over the country. He and Rosalie decide to have children, and they are going to raise these children basically as a behaviorist experiment. Um, and his two sons are, are raised in a behaviorist way in order to sort of prove something about the raising of children. And he becomes a sort of parenting expert. He writes books. His wife, Rosalie, writes articles about raising children the behaviorist way. The, the famous article written by Rosalie is, I am the mother of behaviorist sons. Um, now, in, in all this, before when he was kicked out of John Hopkins University, thing that I didn't tell you, which is about to resurface, is he never did the second part of the experiment with little Albert, which was to eliminate the fear. Um, and so in this telling of the musical, which is not real life, little Albert grows up to be a, a very troubled uh, adult person. In, in real life, my understanding is that little Albert, unfortunately, did not grow up at all. Uh, but in this telling of the story, he grows up to be a very troubled adult who's going to sort of haunt Watson's life and career. Um, so w unfortunately, Rosalie dies after he and her start to have some have some troubling thoughts about the way that they've been raising their children and the effects that it's having on them. Um, and so he sends them off to uh, boarding school, basically. He continues on a cycle of debates. There's a great debate scene with another of the major psychologists. Um, and then Phil the Rat returns and says, we got to go find little Albert. Um, there's been some troubles. The debates are going badly in part because everybody now knows he was experimenting on a baby and, it is, and there's some moral major question marks there. Um, so he and a group of talking rats go on a wild sort of jaunt through the major events of the first half of the 20th century, World War II, the, the Hindenburg disaster, all different kinds of things. And uh, they, the other rats all die in those big tragedies, <laughs> one by one. <laughs> and then Key and Phil the rat finally arrive in like a nuclear bunker where apparently little Albert has been living all these years. Little Albert has been studying Freud and wants to use sort of Freudian therapy to, to help Watson is his proposition. Meanwhile, Watson's like, I want to use behaviorism to help you. And in sort of the final big part of the musical, Watson is confronted with um, major questions about his life and work, questions about the suffering that he caused through his experiments, questions about if everything is mechanical, what's real? Like, are your is your love for your now long dead wife, was that real? Is the loneliness that you feel real? What about your two sons who were, we learn, are, are suicidal in their adulthood? Uh, you know, I would guess in large part due to the way in which they were raised. Um, Watson then, in the kind of final moments of his life, moves out to a barn and has, again, is talking to all the barnyard animals and burns a lot of his papers. 
Um, and then he sings the uh, just cheery, inspiring uh, <laughs> a f- finale song, or there's this song and then the finale. They're kind of put together like, when you're dead, you're dead. Um, and he, so that's, that's kind of the broad scope of the things that happen in the musical. It's a wild telling of a, you know, somewhat true story, but in this big comic satirizing way. Yeah. With lots of, with, with, um, like it's, it's hard to like fully, uh, uh, paint the picture for all the things that are happening. Like grown people are playing rats on stage and for, babies and ba- and, and yeah and babies. So like Albert and another baby show up, and it's two grown men playing the babies. Um, one of them is picked, and then Albert. I mean, I don't know. Albert and Phil the rat kind of. Like we travel with them a lot through the play. They they like they are they are uh, fundamental parts of what are going on, and they frequently talk to um to to uh Broadus and 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 interact with each other quite frequently. Um and 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 throughout all these numbers, again the chorus is on stage, and sometimes it's a chorus of rats all singing. Sometimes they evolve quickly into a chorus of of the trustees of the the college and stuff like that. It's it's a very visceral, fast. Uh, evolving uh um romp in some ways i guess is the word i'm going to say well and <laughs> it's like, it's it, it's alienating right i mean yeah. i think it's in a, in a very an almost brechtian way Definitely. It, it is alienating because the, the, right this is a story about a guy who who one of the major controversies of his career was doing basically torture experiments on a baby Right. right, the famous little Albert experience. So, if you were going to tell that story in a sympathetic way, right, there's this innocent, helpless baby, no one else to turn to in the world, and this mad scientist comes in and does experiments on it. But instead, this baby is an adult human who's like swearing a bunch. Like right. the, they, the, the storytelling method of having an adult play Little Albert isn't just such that he pretends that he's a baby and oohs and ahs, or she pretends she's a baby and oohs and ahs and gagas throughout. When uh, Watson is doing the one of the experiments where every time Little Albert touches like a soft animal or something, he causes pain in his ears by banging a sound really loud, he starts to swear wildly like a, like a grumpy right. New York City cabbie or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how we stair step into that as well. Like the way that this musical trains you to be ready to grapple with that, especially that that a lot like the 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 crucible of this experiment is banging a bar really loudly uh, to a child and making it fear anything white and fluffy. Um, you get the stair steps of he starts as this preacher who's preaching to barnyard animals. He takes one of them with him, and that chicken is like killed mercilessly in Chicago. Okay, that's one. And he's about to he's about to jump off the bridge and then this professor comes and says, "Oh, no, no, don't do that. I have this other thing that uh, explains a lot of the stuff you're going through and 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 here, let me show you how it works." And he proceeds to like not not like viscerally or bloodily or anything on stage, but the action is he takes the brain skull off of a rat played by an actor and then like shocks it. <laughs> to make it go around the stage and want something else. There's an actor playing this rat that's half of his brain is removed and it's moving around the stage. So you kind of get these like stair steps of like, we're dealing with some kind of brutal stuff here. And the whole time with this very tongue in cheek, very like, like theater of alienation again of like this sort of like, we'll, we'll train you to approach this topic in such a way that you can grapple with what we're going to be talk actually talking about and not just be shocked by it. And you know, what's interesting. I found, this interesting through the whole thing about both Phil the Rat and Little Albert is that uh, up until the end when things start to change their sense of the experiments now of course in real life this is a baby and a rat right so they don't have a sense of anything but in the musical the the, the actors playing them are playing and the, the, it's the written lines that they feel positively about the experiments Like that Phil the Rat has a rousing song about becoming the best rat that he could ever be due to being shocked on the genitals by 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 Watson. And and I wonder if I, I don't know this for a fact at all. This is just speculating on reading the script. If part of this story and the reason why it rings so in such a kind of 
disjoint. Uh, not that's not what I mean. In a in a the reason why it, it has such an interesting tone, like a tone that is a little bit uh, hard to grab onto at points because it feels so wild at times. I wonder if part of that is because this is the first. I, well, maybe the whole thing. I'll just say it. If the musical is told from Watson's perspective, as if he were telling the story, and the chorus mm. was him, everybody is him. Ooh, and interesting. That's what he thinks the rats and the babies are saying about being tortured in, in live subject experiments is that they're like, dude. All in the name of science, you know? And there's right. all of these songs. Another great clue to that is there's these songs about how he's going to become a great man someday. And it, it, in some ways, it's satirizing the kind of uh, genre of biopics and biomusicals where you have these songs about, like, people in history putting on the shoulders of greatness and, like, stepping into history and power and all of this stuff. And then you learn that, like, they were just regular people and also they did some stuff you're not too happy about, uh, right? And so the, the, I think it's satirizing that kind of sensibility in these historical musicals. But it also may be, like, maybe the concept is Watson writing about himself, yeah, and that's, I mean, that that certainly would reflect some of the, like, the sort of more fantastical elements of it. I think it's also reflected in Albert's, some of Albert's lines when, uh, kind of older Albert, when uh, he finds him in the bunker. Um, he has this uh, one set of lines, and I'm not going to be able to quote it because I'm, like, paging through and not able to find it. But he, he is essentially is saying, like, yeah, maybe you're here with me in a bunker where I have, like, there's the, the walls are covered in articles about uh, Watson and uh, ma yeah, maybe you're here. Maybe this is true. Or maybe this is still you trying to grapple with something because maybe I also died when I was a child as a result of this illness, um, which, which, I mean, someone who knows the story would happen to know that that's, that in fact happened, that, that, that he died quite young as a child. So you kind of have this like little nod to, I think exactly what you're talking about, Jacob, that this is maybe just kind of, we're, we're kind of in the brain of Watson um, as he as he kind of rolls out this this life trying to to uh, I think trying. To, I mean, I, I think you said early on tr the sympathetic view is that he's trying to help people kind of overcome the neuroses of the parenting that he experienced. Um, and so he's trying to come up with a different way to engage the world and to engage, uh, children to engage, um, each other that removes the possibility of those neuroses developing. Yeah, it, it was, it's sort of like, you know, somebody writes a bio musical about themselves <laughs> yeah. with all of the tropes of bio musicals. I mean, yep. there's a, a big romantic love story there. And it boy, the, the love yeah. story between him and Rosalie follows like to a T. It's such a good satire of the way in which love stories are told in bio musicals and you're in or biopics in general could be too. Like even as you're engaging with them, you're like, this is not how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're watching. It's like actually, I'm even more a fan of your your theory now because there's no way that their relationship actually went that way. It's just so biased to Watson's perspective. Yeah, it's like, and this came out before Hamilton, but it it it, it very much is like they're literally satirizing like Eliza, <laughs> like that kind of love story in the way that it's told. Uh, is it's it's very pointedly mocked in a number of different times, including there's there's all this sort of highly sexual moments in, in the middle of their kind of falling in love, but it's all in like highly clinical lab language. Right. And so it's right. just hilarious. <laughs> and also there's the kind of um, the the so the the prevalence of Phil the rat throughout like there's, there's, there's the, the rats just don't live that long. Um, even, even when they're not being experimented on, but there's right, this scene, exactly. <laughs> there's this scene later on when, when, uh, he like calls up Phil the rat and he's like, Hey, I think we got to get back into the experiment game again. <laughs> and Phil's like, Oh, okay, I guess. Um, and he's like, I'm going to a lecture. You should come to the lecture and watch me at the lecture. So it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely this sort of like, Almost and and at that stage you're almost in the unraveling of Watson's mind. Um, he's getting older. Um, he's 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 uh kind of constantly met with uh resistance to his ideas. Um, and and you kind of see then he goes on this like 
decades long search with a bunch of rats to try to find. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, it's, you definitely see the kind of unraveling of his experience of the world as well. The, The moment to me where that, that unraveling hits the most home is, uh, the, the, the Albert character is, is in the middle of questioning sort of in your behaviorist worldview that you've clung so tightly to, you know, are, are, is any sort of human decision or human feeling, uh, real in any sense, or is it just a result of, uh, uh, pain and pleasure stimulus throughout one's life? So for example, and now I'm sort of going into the specific moment, what about your love for your wife? And he sees his wife, his long dead now wife, Rosalie, um, and he describes feeling embarrassed, feeling embarrassed of his own emotion and loneliness that she's she's been dead for so long and he still feels these things. And little Albert has a line to the effect of like, this is what your life has become. You see a vision of the woman you loved and spent your life with after she's been dead and all you feel about it is embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, yeah, definitely that scene. And then like just, event, I think the, the one that really, I mean, puts the nail in the coffin is, is an apt, <laughs> an apt sort of analogy for the moment in the play is he's burning his, his data at the end of the play. Um, something that Phil the rat like shows up is like, wait, wait, you need to stop. Like, like this, this could be useful to someone. Um, and you kind of get the, the sense, uh, as he, he's trying to warm the various barn animals who are all asking him to burn more stuff. Um, and you get, you get the, you get this sort of like all of this unraveled his, his sons. He like after the scene with Albert, there's the scenes with his sons where he confronts his sons who are both trying to kind of, like send up warnings that they're trying to kill themselves. It's essentially. Um, and so you kind of see that, that everything he tried to do didn't work, at least in the context of this play. Um, and, and the embarrassment around that, and also the just kind of slow unraveling has led him to sort of like not take anything with him and not leave anything behind. And, and it, it's fascinating too, that it, it ends in such a, like I think this musical has potential to let me say it this way it could have been big satire and big comedy all along and then end on this sort of serious kind of punch you in the gut for this you know broken old guy who spent his life doing something that he's not sure was worthwhile at the end of his life I guess but even the end takes this sort of uh it's like it's it's just stating the re- the it's, it just states facts as if they're sort of revelations, right? Like the once you're dead, you're dead is like the conclusion of 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 Watson's. It's like his final moment feeling. It goes back into this kind of tongue in cheek, totally played straight, but but it's back into being rolling funny, uh, big satire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so yeah, it's, it is that weird, that weird moment of like Watson, Watson's dying, right? Watson dies, uh, saying, saying that essentially what you're saying, we're, we're, you know, once you're dead, you're dead. Once you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing else. And Phil has the, the, we know nothing. And then the sort of robust ending finale number is the, is like, uh, like Rosalie comes back and says, well, we know a couple things. Like we know water boils. <laughs> we know like there's, there are facts out there. Um, uh, but, but, but even, even, uh, in the face of all that, there is, there is the, the, the sort of how little we know in the vastness of all the things, <laughs> um, that we don't know. I want to talk just briefly about how interesting it is. And we, we've, we've touched on this a little before in the conversation to give agency to animals and babies in this musical and and in terms of the responsibility of telling this kind of story i think that's a really interesting choice because i mean if you're looking at doing a musical on the career of someone who experimented on live subjects and had a fairly controversial career while at the same time setting up a lot of modern psychology and science and you want to tell you want to do a musical which has some sort of balance of this person did make incredible strides in understandings of human beings and and at the same time did really terrible things in service of that. Um, you, you, one thing you grapple with is 
the subjects of his most famous and early experiments were barnyard animals and babies, including his own babies, who li- who have no agency, who didn't have a voice in being experimented on. In the case of animals, 100% seriously. And in the case of babies, just by virtue of not having language or understanding yet. And when you tell this musical about them, one of the choices that they make, one of the big, most notable choices, is this decision to have adult actors play them, to give agency and a voice to these characters in the telling of the story. Yeah, yeah. At least, at least agency enough to express themselves. Um, uh, as we've already, as we've already talked about, there's very limit. Like they're they're controlled throughout. Um, with 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 whether it's in in Broadus's mind or in in Watson's mind, or as a result of the experiments, they're they're pretty controlled. But the the ability of of uh, the audience to look at adults in those roles. Uh, again, like is a ho- almost like a hospitality to engage this theme at all to sort of uh, and engage in in the medium which they're trying to use, which is a very comedic um, uh, uh, musical. <laughs> um, so so yeah, the 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 uh, position of especially the babies as as adults, the rats certainly as well. Um, really really kind of sets it into into more of that mode and gets you gets you kind of comfortable. Uh, engaging the the sort of tough truths of this real life story. Well, yeah, and I think I mean it's it's interesting because I think there are kind of two two directions in which this could go. I mean, if if you started from sort of my off the wall idea and again, I don't I don't have any confirmation that this was the concept for the musical. It's just how it sort of seemed to me that this is basically a musical written by Watson about himself making sure. himself the hero. Then making adults who can speak and talk out of ex- the the subjects of the experiment makes it seem less bad. It also makes it seem like that's what Watson would have done. Right, sure. Because <laughs> like he has this he has this posture of like, no, they're like little adults. I can give them handshakes and that's like well, enough and of they an seem like consenting partners. I mean, the, like we yeah. already talked about, right? Like they they seem interested and engaged and desiring the results of these experiments to come out. Uh, on the other hand, it also potentially serves to emphasize the way, of, you know, uh, from an audience perspective, the way in which these people were not consenting partners. Yes. In 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 the experiment, and it also kind of strikes home again when we're in this ending sort of psychoanalysis big moment of change for Watson at the end of the musical. Now suddenly they're given a voice and they sing what what I think is uh, one of the more clever songwriting parts of the musical. The rats sing about how they all, they surrender all to, um, to it's, it's a song about how basically all along all these people had to sort of surrender to Watson's experimenting in order for him to be where he is. The rats sing it about all the, the you know pain and torture and cutting apart that he did of, of animals, then people that he sold stuff to. Uh, you know, as an ad man, we, we haven't talked a lot about that part of the musical, but it's a, about a third of the musical where he's selling stuff using this behaviorist model, consumers, and then it ultimately turns around and lands on Rosalie, who was, I, I don't know the real story of Rosalie in real life, but in the musical, she's like the one legitimately consenting partner in the course of the musical. Yeah, yeah. The, the, other, the other scene that like kind of stands out to me is like, where that really lands home is that there's there's a great scene and one of the one of the kind of longer just kind of like uh, uh, straight up acting like not a lot of musical in it um, uh, moments of the play and that's when the the the, the two their two boys Rosalie and Watson's boys are kind of in their like you know like young old, older than like babies basically they're they're like two kids. And they're they're out there playing with this ball and they're tossing it back and forth between each other. And Rosalie's sitting there and she looks like a little perplexed and she's like, They've been sitting there playing ball with each other for for a long time. And Watson's like, That's perfectly normal, great, they're they're enjoying themselves. It's a perfectly useful passing passage of time. Um and she says, No, no, they've been they've been doing that for like four hours. And like and never th- changing the rhythm or the yeah. speed or the it's sort of it's very wrinkle in time, very, like very yeah, dystopian. Black Mirror or yes. like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he and then he's he like tries to make it normal again. He goes up and he like tries to join them in the game, 
Um, he's like, see, it's great. We're all having a great time. And now I'm going to switch the direction that the ball is going. And it just like derails the two boys completely. And you kind of, in, in that moment, you're like, in, in a very similar way, like this is like sort of a core memory of his, um, uh, or, uh, of like, oh, this, this is not, this is maybe not good. <laughs> um, and, and you kind of feel the ramifications of his actions in that moment, even if he briskly kind of moves on to the next thing. It, it It's one of the moments in the musical where my stomach sort of sunk. Like, yeah. it's, I feel like it's one of the moments in the musical where the real damage and almost horror uh, of some of what he did kind of comes through and it's not even that big of a deal he's just throwing a ball with these two kids but it's one of the moments that doesn't have a hugely uh satiric or comedic tone which which may which may be part of it there's there's so many great weird moments in this musical too like he takes his two sons as young very young children to like a talk show to prove that his behaviorism parenting works and like has one of the sons like go to the bathroom uh, you know son that should be in diapers at that age like is able to use the bathroom on stage like on command (laughs) yeah there's just so much in this musical that's like boy it's good thing that we have some later work around like trauma and stuff to like that we didn't go this way as a parenting nation and yet for a long time um uh I, like i i haven't I, I don't know a whole lot i just did the research for this conversation but like before dr spock was the person writing about child psychology and and up and raising up people a whole generation of people like pay attention to this guy <laughs> and like scenes like that are like oh my goodness like this this sort of the the sort of the trauma level that these kids must have from this sort of upbringing is is astounding and yet um uh, uh it could just kind of like the the play play does a masterful job of just kind of like almost like a skipping rock like touches on that and then we're off again to another musical number and re-engaging another part of this guy's life yeah and it it's it, it very much is the sense of it could be, and actually on the page, it almost reads that way, a musical really celebrating, this is a great man, look at all this great stuff he did, isn't it fantastic, the rats love it, the babies love it, and it's all worked out. And then again, just to bring us back to kind of what we said at the beginning, listen to the music and you start to understand the tone is exactly the opposite of that. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Oh, there, there are so many different moments we could zoom in on and kind of engage. We've, we've done a fair bit of them, but but ultimately the experience of this play, I feel like, is is so much in the room. Just like the sort of like the the visceral nature, the the quickly evolving scenes cast on stage the whole time. There's so many different things we could talk about. Alas, we are coming down to the end of our time to talk about it on the show today. But we don't have to stop the conversation. We'd love to keep chatting about this play with all of you out there in podcast land. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at Podcast. We also have a Gmail, noscriptpodcast at gmail.com, and our Patreon page where uh, we can talk about it there. Find us on any of those sites. We love to keep talking about the behavior of Broadus with you. Absolutely. Big thank you out there to those listeners that recommended that we check out this script. We are available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube. For those folks out there who need a way to check us out still, send your family, your friends our way. Anybody you know that likes scripts, stories, reading, the theater, anything like that, send them our way to have these conversations with us. We will be back next week with our themed month, new chats, old scripts, four short conversations, revisiting plays that we've already talked about on the podcast with some updates. Yeah, yeah. So get excited for that. Mark your calendars. And until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast.